Welcome to Hair Like Hers, a show all about women's hair health and wellness, giving you access to leading experts in the beauty, health, and medical industries, and sharing their experiences, treatments, and helpful tips with you. I'm your host, Shab Reslin, born into the hair industry and a hair health expert in NYC. There is a major lack of resources, clarity, and solutions for women and their unique hair struggles. I've dedicated myself to the research and study of hair growth, hair health, and the scalp because women need more guidance and access to effective solutions. Why women? Because the topic has always been a taboo thing and I'd like to change that. I want to illuminate the importance of overall health and the best daily practices it takes. So join me in discovering the secrets to truly being your best self and to have the best hair of your life now and forever. Hey, you guys, and welcome back to another episode. It's so good to have you here. You are in for such a treat. I am so excited for you to hear this episode. I love it for so many reasons, but above all, it's healthy, it's based on experience, it's sustainable, and I believe everyone will relate to the tips my guest shares with us today. Hair loss is one of the many side effects of rapid weight loss. Any shock to the body, be it diet, trauma, medication, surgery, or stress-related affects our hair before any other noticeable symptom comes up. I invited my guest, Jill Bunny, to the show to gain insight on rapid weight loss and her approach to living your 2.0 life. Jill Bunny, a cover model, professional athlete turned weight loss therapist, has an incredible story about overcoming dieting rules, food obsession, and weight fluctuations. Through her journey with an eating disorder, cancer, and MS, she discovered that there was more to life than constantly thinking of food or being a certain number on the scale. That sounds way too familiar. Through her research, education, and relentless perseverance, she learned to reprogram the female brain to achieve lifelong body fat reduction without dieting, deprivation, or discipline. Jill is a certified functional medicine health coach, psychotherapist, and a CBT, that's cognitive behavioral therapy neuroscience expert. She is known for creating the NeuroSlim solution that transforms women's relationships with food to have their 2.0 life. In today's episode, Jill drops some compelling insights that will help listeners refuel their overtired diet brains. She's from Toronto and I admire her so much. Follow her on IG now at JillBunny2.0. That's bunny like bunny rabbit. You will love her advice and content. All right, Jill Bunny, welcome to the Hair Like Hers show. It's so amazing to have you. I'm super excited about what we've got in store today. Oh, no, I have been waiting anxiously and excitedly for this and to know what we're going to get up to, but let's do this. So thank you so much for having me. Of course, it's so great to have you. And I've never taken this kind of approach that we're about to with regards to diet and hair. So everyone really is is in store for something so fantastic because I'm always trying to look for like new methods on like the perspectives we have on our diet and how to approach diet and healthy ways and unhealthy ways. And I loved your approach and method. And so I can't wait for you to kind of break it down for everybody. First of all, where are you, where are you calling in from today? I am calling in from just outside of Toronto, so Burlington, Ontario, Canada. That's my girl, Canadian, fellow Canadian. If you guys don't know, my hometown is Toronto. If you don't already know that, I take every opportunity to mention that. So it's nice to speak to a fellow Canadian. You're incredible. Why don't you start by telling us your story and how you got into all of this and what your specialty really is? Yeah. So kind of like you said, my name is Jill Bunny. I am a functional medicine health coach and a weight loss psychotherapist. And that is not something that I ever thought that I'd be doing five or 10 years ago. So backtracking a little bit, most people that might put me into Google might see me in a lot of bikinis and competitions. And I'm mostly known for in the social media space, as in a fitness model, cover model, and four-time IBB bikini competitor. So I have always been into health and fitness in some domain. And through that, I've kind of wiggled around and through my own personal battles, health battles, which we'll get into, I realized the significance of keeping our mental health intact. So, you know, I would say that at 36 years of age that I am now, I don't think there's many people that haven't gone through something 
you know, we're not 16 anymore, unless there are young people listening to this. And, you know, you'll go through something, but you'll always end up on the positives. But through that, at the age of 25, I went through a divorce. And he was my first boyfriend. I had that white picket fence dream that did not form reality. And through that, it was my first inclining with an eating disorder. And I used food as a coping mechanism to control things where I had nothing else in my life that I felt that I could control. And through that, I actually moved back to Canada because I lived in England for five years and thought, you know what? I've still been into fitness, but I want to be powerful. I want to show my ex-husband that he made the biggest mistake of his life. So what I did was I opened up a magazine and thought, I want to be the girl on that cover. And I put myself to work. I put on weight because I was about 97 pounds. I'm 5'10", so I was tiny. And to give some perspective, I'm about 140 now. So I was just right there. Wow. Yes, very, very small. I've been all sides of the spectrum. And through that, I went through learning how to eat in a way that could put size on, but still look aesthetically pleasing. And in six years, I was four-time IPV champion and a four-time cover model. So I did what I had dreamed of. And through that process, I met my husband who I have now, felt like I was on top of the world. And, you know, I had another battle that I had to overcome, didn't expect it, was diagnosed with MS and three months later was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. So it was thought that I had got my life together and then you get hit again. And through that process, I went the complete other way and went up to 170 pounds. So I have yo-yos of people that look at me might say, why don't you don't understand? Oh, I do. And it wasn't from a lack of knowledge, which was really difficult as a health coach that I was eating clean, doing whatever they could, and I put on weight. And through that process, I realized I couldn't punish my body to get the results, which I usually did. And it worked, but this time it wasn't. And that was when I started to learn about cognitive behavioral therapy and learning how to train my brain and mind when I couldn't train my body to get the results. And lo and behold, through that journey, learned so much about myself and decreasing stress and what my body really needed. I dropped the weight sustainably and I feel like I'm living my 2.0 life now. And now I train my clients the same. So I've had a whirlwind of a journey and I'm just happy to be here now. And I don't regret going through everything because I can speak about it. I realized it was supposed to happen. Yeah, no kidding. I, that's quite <laughs> the background and story. I mean, I, I think this is so great why I one thing I really love about your experience is that you're not only an you know a domain expert here but like you have really gone through all the ups and downs mm -hmm. which is I think is the best way to really understand this body and diet relationship and exercise mm -hmm. relationship and that's wild I can't believe you've been through all that mm -hmm. and you certainly look incredible 140. Yeah, and, and so if you're 140 at 510, yeah. you're just, yep. you're, you're lean and strong. Yes. Lean and strong. That's amazing. Yep. Love it. Okay. So you mentioned cognitive, be cognitive behavioral therapy. Did I get yeah. that right? Okay. So you did. <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy. Try saying that yep. in times fast. And and the the connection to like neuroscience and all that. So yeah. explain our method. What is it exactly that you're yeah. promoting? So you said it right. I always say CBT, but I always have to say it's CBT with a T, not a D. Everyone thinks, oh, CBD. I'm like, well, we can talk about that another day in some a TSH. But right. for CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, basically we look at reprogramming the brain with neuroscience. And that was the biggest thing where when we exercise, we know if we repetitively work out, let's say our biceps, they're going to get leaner there. We're going to shake them. We're going to improve. And it's the same thing, but we're working on our brain. And at the end of the day, I always give the example of like a chip bowl. If, you know, we're sitting on the couch or we're watching some Netflix and we have our husband and he's got a chip bowl. It's not like the hands that's doing it. Our mind has to tell our hand to go into the chip bowl and eat it. So what I look at from a weight loss perspective is it starts in the mind. 
So we have to rewire and reprogram that thing that's telling us to do anything, think anything, feel anything. And when we start to understand ourselves, the behaviors that we would like that are helpful will come into play. Okay. So how does that start? How do we begin to understand ourselves? Well, first, I always say we got to shut off from the outside world influence and start to look inside ourselves. So with that, it's what we think, right? Or how we feel. So whenever we have an emotion, maybe we're sad, maybe we're angry, something had to happen. Like something triggered it. Yeah. Usually there's an event or situation that we, that happened unless we just wake up on the wrong side of the bed and chemistry happens. But usually something happened. We got a text. We saw something on Instagram. It kind of threw us off. Yeah. Right. So that'll be more of like a stress induced type of binging. But like, what about if you have like repetitive behavior in sitting down and eating that full bag of chips every single time? Or, you know, mm-hmm. then then how do you explain that? Right. What's really happening in your mind if that's how you're treating yourself, even though you would obviously rather not? Mm-hmm. So sometimes we look at it from a subconscious belief. Right. Where if it's habitually happening, we first like go back. And that's kind of under layers. So for me to explain that would be for magnitude of reasons, right? So sometimes we avoid things that makes us feel good, right? So when we want to eat that or have a binge, we're doing it because it actually is doing something positive. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it at all, even though we don't really want to do it because we're like, oh, I know that it's affecting my weight, for example. If there was no positives, we wouldn't do it. So in that moment, that's giving us comfort doing something. And from that, why we're doing it, that would be stemming into looking a what kind of happened, you know, that we're having that binging at night, right? Then sometimes it can be, oh, maybe that's a rule or belief. And in CBT, we go from thoughts, so automatic thoughts that are coming into our head, right, to rules to then beliefs. So usually that is a loaded question you gave me. It's usually a belief system of I feel worthless, I feel helpless, or I feel unlovable. And that's a core belief that could be in play where we then look at a way to avoid or make ourselves feel better. And if we've used food, which damn, it does a great job at it, we're going to do it again because we felt better. Our brain says, oh, I felt better. I'm going to do it again and again and again until we break that pattern. But we have to reprogram our brain to get there. That's so interesting. So you work with people and you really start to break down these patterns and what they mean and try to make sense of it. And yeah, and just really look at everything like outside of the eating action. Yeah. Immediate eating action. Yeah. We've got to really start to understand ourselves and and why we do it. And a lot of the time it's that escape goat that we hear that, oh, it's our childhood. The way our parents brought us up. Yeah. Yes, they're that factor. We live in a society where food is part of it but it's understanding why we used it, right? And then understanding different ways that we could also get what we need. And usually we don't ask ourselves, what do we need? We ask, what do we want? And it's such a different question. And with a lot of the clients that I use, we look at where we are right now, I call it the 1.0 and 2.0. And it's such a a better way to look at our life and what we wanna do. That right now, a lot of us in our 1.0, right? And it's not to say it's bad. There's amazing things about it. But we look at what is our body like? What is our job? What is our career? You know, anything food relationship. And what does our 2.0 look like? So I always say to people, what do we want our 2.0 to be? What do we want to look like? What do we want to feel? Because if we don't know that, how do we know what we're progressing towards? And from that, we can see where likely chance we're having some things that are creating obstacles. And I always say, when we have a food issue, I look at it as a food opportunity because we often look at any issues as a problem, but it's an opportunity where we can learn and grow. It's just a different perspective to look at it. That's such a great positive Mm -hmm. outlook. So let's talk a little bit about, and I know that I know that you can get so deep with this, but just some like top line underlying issues that are affecting our relationships with food. Maybe, maybe some like Mm -hmm. common uh, relationships that you see, you know, or mm-hmm. I guess like, you know, what what are you mostly seeing with people when you're abusing your diet? Mm. And then also let's talk about diet abuse versus food freedom and, and how you cut yeah. out of that. 
Yeah. So like, there's a lot of like food issues that I see. One of the biggest ones is, and I'd love anybody to take a piece of paper, they could write it right now, is what is exceptional, what is good enough, and what is terrible. So an issue that I see is we have to be perfect, that this diet, we either are all in, you know, I'm following it, but if I wake up and have breakfast and I decide to have a piece of toast other than my eggs because it's a carb, I've ruined the entire day and I might as well just keep on eating what I am and I'll try again tomorrow, right? right. But what I say is, we as a society, as women, we read these magazines. Maybe we've gone on a diet like from what we've learned from the past coaches. We've all been there, but we haven't been taught the gray area. So we've taught what's quote unquote exceptional and exceptional isn't attainable all the time. Because again, if we think of exceptional, some people be like, I always follow plan, which would also mean that you've got to bring your Tupperware to your aunt's like Christmas party. Is that exceptional? But that's what we're looking at. Then good enough is, you know what? I ate really healthy, but I had my aunt's food and I enjoyed it in a balanced way. And terrible is just, could be eating McDonald's every meal. But unless we have a decipher to know what's exceptional and what's good enough, we're always going to fall into that all or nothing trap. But what I always say to a lot of clients I work with, once we know between the two, I almost guarantee even when we don't have an exceptional day, you're more than good enough. And that's where we're kind of getting to a 2.0 life because we're not in this black or white, all or nothing. So that is the biggest issue I see is either we're all in or all out. I love that because I think the first option, the exceptional option is really unrealistic and it's putting so much pressure on yourself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I feel like that could apply to any kind of goal you're trying to attain in life and yeah. that, you know, trying to go at it so perfectly, so exceptionally and have such you know, kind of definitive guidelines, I guess it's just, that's just so good. That's so hard. It's like you're setting yourself up for failure. The good yeah. enough option. I love that. That sounds really healthy. I it's love like, good enough. It's like, you know what your goal mm -hmm. is, but you're also understanding of the fact that you are going to have exceptions on certain days and that you're going to enjoy okay life. It, right. And so is that the whole food? And that, um, the yes. way, freedom. Yeah. And that's the 2.0. So I always go back to asking what's the 2.0 because I guarantee nobody in their 2.0 would write, yes, I want to follow a food plan the rest of my life. That is bullshit. Right. That nobody really wants to follow a food plan and have a piece of paper and that be it. It's not right. Or nobody, yeah. no. yeah. or nobody would write, you know what, I, I want to be able to eat Tupperware at Christmas. Right. So that's if we understand where we want our food freedom to be. And when we look at a 2.0 and write, what would she be like at Christmas? What would she be like on a Saturday, Sunday weekend? What is she like in the day? When we understand that, this is where the food freedom comes in because we know what it is, the kind of life that we're after. It's so, so wild. Food freedom is different for everyone. Yeah, you're, you're, it's so wild, like how much I'm relating to what you're saying because like I, I follow a certain you know, diet, I try and stick to intermittent fasting. And then I feel like it all gets thrown off when you travel and when you do go to parties and when you do go to visit family and when you, you know, like you switch things up or you're out late and then your window changes the next day or, you know, you have a late dinner party. And it's like, it's just so impossible mm -hmm. to stay within a defined diet plan and, and structure. And mm -hmm. I just, I love, I mean, already I feel like I'm just thinking about it differently. And I think it's so helpful what you said, identifying who are you at family gatherings and who are you yeah. on those holidays. It's got to be flexible. Yeah. yeah. I love that. the diet, like intermittent fasting, anything is beneficial for anybody in certain dynamics, but it is a general diet. It is never specific to one person and it doesn't account for emotions. It doesn't account for events. And that's where I say you do your 2.0. So there's going to be different, you know, diet protocols or rules depending on what it is that you're doing. And then it's easier when we're at a party if we feel like we're like having extra. It's a simple, what would my 2.0 do? Mm -hmm. And it's that simple, oh, she probably wouldn't eat the whole train cookie. She'll probably just have two and it'll be a great day. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of stopping ourselves and asking that rather than saying, does this follow my calories in, calories out or my diet plan? Because Oh, man, I just wish people could have the freedom. And it's a beautiful thing. Right.
right? Yeah. As it should be. Okay, so let's talk about the Jill Bunny 2.0 version. What What is your current relationship yeah. with food? Let's talk about it because you uh, look great. You've been you know, through it all. I'm sure oh, you've tried you. all the different Girl, like, um, you know, so what is someone like you doing yeah. today? What's, what does that look like? Yeah, so I would first look at my 1.0 and maybe it was like 0.5 when I started learning this and developing the protocol, but it was the local 1.0 because it's a bit easier. It was following a food plan. It was regimented, weighing out each meal, stressed, anxious, wanting to be home so that I, I could get my meal on time. You know, I couldn't have that half hour window because I'd be hungry. I wasn't hungry, but mentally I told myself I was. I'd be very nervous to go out for dinner with friends because, you know, I've got a protocol. I, I have to follow this. And I lost a lot of freedom in that, even on Christmases and vacations. And then when I would go on vacation, it would be a free-for-all because it's the only opportunity that I have. And, you know, desired meals. It would be like, I'm going all in because this is my meal. And through that, I realized it was a time and place when I competed. It had benefit me having that type of life because, you know, I had certain goals to be X, Y, Z. I did it. But it also, I lost a lot in the process of family time, social anxiety and depression. And, you know, that was part of it that a lot of people didn't see. And then going through my own health battles and going through CBT. And it was like, you know what? I'm not a competitor anymore. I'm not a fitness model. I want to enjoy what life is. I want to be present. I don't want to be anxious around food. I don't want to feel guilty about eating a blueberry. Legit. I was like, I've had enough of this, but it's going to be a process to unlearn everything that I did. And that was developing the 2.0 and asking myself, what kind of life is it that I want? And for me, it was not having a food plan. It was understanding my cues. It was being able to go without six hours without food and not thinking that, oh my gosh, I've ruined everything. And through that process, my relationship with food now, I would say it's not a focal point through this process because I have so many important things that I'd rather focus on than what am I going to eat in two hours because that wasted so much of my brain power. And so now I'll have nachos at three o'clock if I feel like it and a margarita, but I'm not going to eat that every day in, in an obscene amount. But it's just not a focal point in my life anymore. Like it's a second thought, which is the best freedom of it all. And I never thought that could exist, but it, it can. And it's very, very heartfelt and over like, and I just have other things that I can do and be social and be present. And with that, I can actually be in conversations because I'm in that for the conversation than seeing the food or feeling like I can't eat it or I have to eat it all. Like I can actually be in conversations with food around myself and not be drawn into that. Whereas that would always be my focal point. So let's talk about some safe and healthy ways to lose weight rapidly. This is something big. Obviously, we're having this conversation today because mm -hmm. we want to talk about weight loss without hair loss, right? Because any kind of yeah, dramatic shift in your diet, you will, chances are, most likely see some kind of side effect in your hair, whether it's a immediate shedding yeah. or growing in weaker, finer hair. You know, your your hair is is fed through your blood supply, right? It's like whatever you're eating, all those nutrients, you are you have to eat healthy enough so that it's making it to your hair, right? And that it's actually benefiting your hair. So let's talk about a safe and healthy way to lose weight, right? I mean, is there a safe and healthy way to lose weight rapidly? What does that look like if somebody wants to kickstart it? What are your thoughts on that? Should we even be asking this question? That's a very good question. Ooh, it all right? depends on the person and where they are, how much they have to lose. Like if somebody is significantly overweight, likely chance they will rapidly lose to get to their weight set point. Someone that might have five pounds, yeah, you're not going to rapidly lose that. And instead, like that's where I look at asking somebody and saying, you know, we want this right away. That's our emotional brain. Absolutely. I, I would be lying if I heard anybody say differently, but it's logically saying to ourselves, do I want to lose it quick and gain it back and be in the exact same place next year? Or although I want it right away, if I'm focused on being healthier, 
And what is it that that weight loss is going to do for me? What is my why? What advantages instead? Once we know that, then it's saying, I don't care if it's three months or one year, because I'm going to get to that standpoint, but I know what that's actually going to do. Because oftentimes some people don't know why they want to lose weight or it's, you know, they're going through something else really difficult in their life. It could be a relationship, could be work. Like I've been there through a divorce and through competing. I didn't want to deal with the shit I dealt with. So I just wanted to lose weight because I had control and it felt good. And that was where I was at in my life. And I see that with a lot of clients that it's like, I can't mentally deal with the shit inside. I'm going to focus here and that's okay. That if it's outer appearance, we have to focus on. But unless we deal with the inside, that weight loss will either not happen or you'll never be happy once you get there. So it's an inside job to actually lose it. So rather than rapidly, it's really looking at why do we want to lose it? And if it's just because I feel like shit about myself and this is what I want to focus on. Okay. At least we know we're avoiding it and we're aware of it. Right. Yeah. Better to identify it. Yeah. Okay. So let's say somebody wants to lose weight just before a vacation. And of course, I know it matters. Yeah. Uh, like it depends on what your initial weight is yeah. mentioned. But let's talk about that, right? What is What would you say would be a healthy way to shed a few pounds or at least think you've shed a few pounds before vacation trying to get into whatever shape that makes you feel mm-hmm. better and, you know, in just a short amount of time? Yeah. So usually I would say it dep- like I would not go crazy increasing cardio. That's what everybody does. Really, that, that's not going to do the job. I'll tell you that. Yeah. What would that but do? You could... What would that really do, though? I feel like I have my perspective on that, but not much. So just you mean not much, not just much. like physically not you're not going to see a difference. No, because you look at the people in the gym, if you looked around. And unless they change their diet, they all look the same the gym like do we really see massive transformations over time no usually so not true what a good price so exercise like i I've, I've been in the gym and i walk more than everything just walking and keeping our body in a non like cortisol stress induced state and if we want to lose a few pounds before holiday it's looking at what was my what's my regular diet right now because if it's very strict what the hell else are you going to do? That's a problem. But if it's we're free for all eating some chips or doing some extra, it might be like, you know what, maybe I'm just going to cut back on the processed food a bit and, you know, drop that water weight. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I usually say. But I, I would assume that that vacation was planned more than a week or two in advance. Right. So that's when we book it and ask ourselves, how do I want to feel on that vacation? Mm-hmm. And it's how do I want to feel? And also, than... and I would imagine also, what kind of relationship with food am I going to have on this relation on this trip? Right? Yeah. How do I plan on indulging on this trip? Do I plan on indulging? You know, am I going to try always the like having like a set plan? Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's a I set like plan. That. You're setting yourself up for yeah, success. And you'll know where it is you want, because I have some clients that's like, what would you like to feel on vacation? And how do you want to feel after? Because I guarantee no one's going to say, oh, I wish I deprived myself. And they will not say, I wish I just ate like an asshole. Yeah. So it's saying, okay, well, what is that going to look like for us? You know, so is that mean we might have a few more alcohol, but enjoy whole foods? And it's really asking ourselves, what are we going on vacation for? What is that? Is it for food? What, what is it for? If it's just for food, okay, that's a different, different thing. But what else are we going on vacation for? To relax, to connect with our significant other, to go away with our friends. Okay, so where is food fitting into that? And all we do is plan ahead with it and saying, okay, what would I think is reasonable? What will my 2.0 do? It's a simple question because that usually will keep it balanced. And also being aware that we could put on a few when we get back, but we're aware of that and we accept it. I mean, I can just relate. I I just came back from Italy this summer. And I remember before the trip, it was like, I completely restricted my diet. I'm not going to lie. I would, I went into like more protein shakes, less, you know, solids and really tightened up my intermittent fasting window because I knew mm-hmm. and I had decided I am not going to hold back. I barely eat anything with gluten here in the U.S., 
I don't really eat much dairy, but I knew that I would be indulging completely when I was there, as I did. And I felt great about it because I knew I decided this is who I'm going to be on this vacation. I'm going to enjoy all of it. I'm not going to feel bad about eating anything that I wouldn't normally. And it's truly going to be like pleasurable. And it really was. And I and I love that because, I mean, to me, that was just healthy and I went in and set myself up that way. And then when I came back, I just knew. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go back to normal anyways, which which isn't eating like that every single day and just kind of went yeah. right back on track. But let's say, let's say someone wants to start a restrictive diet because they're trying to lose weight and they're like, all right. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to cut out a bunch of things. I'm going to start eating a lot less calories in a day. What kind of kind of you know, what kind of diet advice could you give to the listeners if there's somebody that's trying to do that right now? Because I'm always anybody that I meet, friends, family, clients, mm-hmm. anybody that's like, oh, I'm trying to like lose weight and I just started this crazy new plan. I'm I'm like, you just need to be careful because I don't want you to lose all your hair. I've seen this time and time again. Mm-hmm. I've seen it, you know, when I was yep. behind the chair with models and people in the, you know, in the public eye and yeah. how restricted their diets were. I mean, they were always dealing with fragile and thinning hair. So what's yeah. one thing that you can tell people? Like if, if somebody right now is like about to like start a diet or they're on something restrictive, what's something that we can mm-hmm. help them with that – at least they're being healthy to a certain level where, you know, they're not going to shock their body to the effect that their hair is going to want to fall mm-hmm. out. Well, you just say first, if they say it's restrictive, that, you know, it's a crazy diet, that's an answer. And I usually just say, if you had a daughter, would you think that is an appropriate diet to be on? Would you want her and say, yes, like I'm fully supporting you to go on this diet? That is a simple question because if they're like, yeah, I would, then it's not restrictive and crazy mm-hmm. and their hair would be fine. But if they're like, you know what, I'm hesitating and saying, okay, if you wouldn't allow your daughter to do it and you wouldn't support that, why are you doing that for yourself? And it's that like, okay, yeah, I wouldn't do it, but I still emotionally want to lose this weight. And that's an emotional part of the brain. But logically, we know from a logic standpoint we wouldn't do this and we need to honor our 2.0. And from that, it's saying, okay, whatever's restrictive and at what percentage of restriction are we willing to do? Because at the end of the day, we want to be able to do it long-term because if we're only going to do it for 30 days, I guarantee a lot of people that it's like, I'm going to do this crazy thing and I can't wait to then have this, right? Have it now because it's all about balance and it's a different approach, but we haven't learned how to do it this way. And it's always the diet crash, 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 because we can't do it, but you can do a sustainable approach. Mm -hmm. It's just going to take a bit longer. So what I'm picking up, sorry. So what I'm picking up from you is let's not even talk about that rapid weight loss. Let's not even talk about that restrictive diet just to get you to a certain goal quickly. Let's just set that relationship and that intention right now and create something sustainable. And if we do, Right. And it's a a total different process. But and that's why I say, do we want to pass on these types of rules and beliefs and things that we've learned that we know make us feel terrible? And we have the power to stop that and stop passing it down generation to generation. We do have that power if we choose to. And it's just knowing that the emotional part of our brain has to quiet down a little bit and allow that logic and patience And when we do it sustainably, we learn so much about ourselves and it's an enjoyable journey, which is what it's all about. And I have seen, I have been with my own hair dry and you can tell someone's health from their skin and their hair in a day. And you look and you're like, they are not healthy. And it's just something so beautiful when they're glowing with the silky hair and they're losing weight, but they look happy and vibrant versus dull and like sunken in and exhausted, there's something different about that. I don't know about the listeners right now, but I already feel so liberated just listening to your approach. It's just really wonderful how you're simplifying it and breaking it down. It's like, we're just so programmed to look at our relationship with diet and exercise in a certain way. Like you said, it's so true. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, 
I'm going to do this crazy crash diet for the short amount of time and I got a goal I want to hit and that's going to make me feel better. And it's just, instead, it's like, why aren't we focusing on defining our 2.0? Why aren't we focusing on what that sustainable long-term relationship really looks like with food instead of treating it like, you know, a a, a pay-per-click kind of thing, like, this is just, you know, this is how I'm going to have it right now. I'm going to I'm going to try this out for the next month or, you know, I just kind of want to preview what this will look like. Let me see. It's just so wild. It is it is such an ingrained relationship. And that is I guess that's mm-hmm. just how we've been trained to look at it. And, yeah. and it's just learning differently. And it's scary. It's uncertain when we look at this approach, like, really, does it work? It does. But it's also asking ourselves what do we want in our life? You know, and I always ask the clients, like, how much are we focusing our food, our weight, you know, stepping on the scale? And if we time, like looked at the time that we spend on that, it's ridiculous. And some of my clients are 50 and 60 and you hear the time that they spent wasted on their life because of that. And then it's saying, okay, no more. And I take that back. What else we could be doing? That's really sad. I don't want to be one of those people. So no, not definitely. And it doesn't matter how old we are. Yeah, we have that opportunity to shift and say, right, if I wasn't thinking about this all the time, imagine all the free time I'd have to do something that I would really love, or I don't even know. Oh, my God. And then we define it. Imagine the possibilities. (laughs) Okay, so are do we have any do we have any best ways to stick to or incorporate a diet, and by diet, I mean whatever your 2.0 is, right? Or whatever new kind of healthy relationship you want to establish with your eating habits. How do you stick to it? I mean, still, even even committing to your 2.0 is still a commitment. So how do you stay, you know, mm-hmm. how do you stay on track? It's a commitment every day, I would say to myself. And the first thing I always do, because everyone always asks me a tip. Right. I know we were chatting about this before. And my tip is right there. Don't ask for a tip because a tip isn't a solution. (laughs) Right. It's not like a tip is just a tip. And we always use that. But it's like we're after solutions. So what that is, is looking inside ourselves. And we're going to have moments where we go off track because that's part of being human and it's part of being fun. But it's connecting to our 2.0. And that's what I, I do every single day. I have my journal right here. And I'll pick something to ask her. And that's kind of that connection point of how I want to feel this day. And it could easily be, you know, because it's close to Halloween now, I journaled, how does my 2.0 want to feel on Halloween? Mm. What does that look like? And funny enough, I came up with, I'm like, I can't wait to decorate with like pumpkins. And I'm very excited for that. And not once I write Reese's Pieces or any of this. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's connecting to our 2.0, not to say that that's the perfect answer and we'll do everything right. But that's how we stick to it is just that first connection bit. How do we want to feel today? Taking 10 minutes to connect with her. Then we're actually becoming her a little bit throughout that day. And that's like a simple answer, but that's kind of where I look at it that most of us are trying to be diligent and then looking at it like, I'll drink more water, I'll do this. That's not the case. Right. So we have to connect to who we want to be. I love that. I mean, it's just being intentional. Like it's, mm-hmm. I, I love that approach, Jill. I love it so much. We know, we know like something is coming up, a holiday or an event or whatever, and you can just determine and define what you're going to be like around that. And that's so great. So you wrote that in your journal. You actually wrote it out. That's every day. Oh, great. Every day I write my two put out sometimes. Oh. And this was like a really neat thing. And like with hair or sometimes like if you go back and look at my old posts, I was wearing headbands. And they get thicker as the days went on because I didn't want to wash my hair. But when I went through depression, it's really hard to take care of ourselves. Like legit, it was a big kerfuffle to get in the shower, wash my hair, blow dry. I got a lot of hair, but it just seemed like so much energy. And I would wear sweatpants, but that was my Mm 1.0. And when I was journaling my 2.0, not once did I write wearing sweatpants, looking dirty and disheveled and not taking care of myself. And I thought, oh my gosh, not once did I write that. Why am I being that? And then that started to wear clothes. Every day I wear clothes, although I work from home and don't see anybody. I wash my hair. I put makeup on because that's what my 2.0 is. Like, it's not vain. 
I just love feeling this way. And that was one thing I journal. So sometimes I write like, what does my 2.0 hair look like? Mm. Like it is the weirdest thing to do. But when we're connecting, we're becoming that person. And it is the, the coolest thing I've ever done because I'm not a journaler, but I just pick a topic and write about it. Well, I feel like I've never gotten into journaling because I really didn't know where to start from. But I feel like this is such a great direction to find who your 2.0 is. Like, that's really cool, Jill. And you're going to write things that you're gonna be like, <laughs> no, like I wrote things that I felt like I should be. And that's where we'll start because we have these blocks. So I'm writing what I think I should be, what I think I should do. And then I sat back and like, really don't want that. And it was for myself. No one else saw it. And then bit by bit, I came to understand who this 2.0 is. And it's nothing crazy. She doesn't live in a multi-million dollar home and buying all these things. It's the simple freedom and present and just being happy and having a purposeful job that I feel like I'm making a difference. It was nothing big. But once we start to define what that looks like, we become that person. Mm -hmm. And we're not looking outside ourselves to have something to fix it when we're not happy. Let's talk a little bit about dispelling myths. Let's talk about those <laughs> diet. Let's talk about those diet myths, right? Like, what would you say are the biggest diet myths out there that we continue to see today, and that drive oh, you absolutely gosh. crazy? Because there has, like, I can, like, there are hair myths that drive me insane because they just couldn't be yeah. further from the truth. And I'm sure you've got a bunch of them. So, what are they? Oh, like I would say, gluten free is healthier. Mm -hmm. Right. We hear that all the time. You know, eating after 6 p.m. will make you put on weight. Carbs are bad. You know, having sugar free is OK. You must have a protein shake after working out at the gym. There is so much bullshit out there. And this is what I say to all that. Like people be like, what is the myth of keto, of intermittent fasting, of, you know, low carb? I always say, is that you? If it's not, it's probably not because it's a generic thing that we've created a protocol, but it has to be customized. And there will always be these diet myths out there that kind of get our emotional brain. They do because they're really good taglines. They're fantastic. Right. But we have to step away from that and ask ourselves from a logical standpoint, does this even make sense? Because majority headlines are bullshit. Because the stuff that is true is not like exciting by any means. Like it's not going to grab headline attention, right? Because news is really good at that. And that's the industry that we're in of health and fitness is to grab that attention and hit that emotional standpoint to do it. And they'll do anything like carbs are bad, sugar is bad. Like we've heard all of those things, right? But when it's low fat, you got to put something else in that to make it taste good, right? So, and this is where... Amazingly enough, I know we're going off on a tangent from the myths, but I always say to people, look at the bliss point. And it is the coolest thing where we get to understand the control of food. So there's like a Dorito study, which is fascinating. And basically, when we think that I, I don't have control over food, but you don't half the time because they pay multi-million dollar scientists, neuroscientists to create the perfect concoction of fat, sugar, and salt in order for your brain centers to go off like cocaine. So of course you're going to want more. So they literally did a Dorito study where they shoved people an MRI and they're eating them until their brain centers hit the exact same endorphin rush as it did for cocaine. So when I hear people like, I can't stop eating the sugar, no shit. They did their job. They did a great job, right? And it's just understanding that that's the society they're in. They don't give a crap about your health. They just want you to buy more because they need to make profit. In order to make profit, they got to put the best shit in there so you keep buying more. But when we have the power to know that, I look at it and I just laugh because I'll be like, I'll have one Reese's Pieces if I want it, but I'm not going to eat three because I know what you're doing. Right. <laughs> you can't give the satisfaction to them. Or, you know, <laughs> I mean, or I mean, first of all, that's just so insane because it's like it's going to deplete your not just deplete your dopamine, which apparently you can't deplete it only in a certain given time you can, but like. It's just like you're abusing your, your the ability to react positively to the dopamine release. And mm -hmm. you know what? So I, however it goes up, yeah, right. you got to go lower. Oh. It'll go lower to go back. Yep. Right. Yeah. So yeah. freaky. But that's I, I say as soon as we understand the control of it and what's going on. So when we hear like I'm binging, I don't have control. We're, I would say binge on carrots. 
Mm-hmm. You won't. You'll be like, I don't want this. Exactly. We want the stuff like just like alcohol and drugs because it does a damn good job to those chemicals to make us feel good. What do you like to do for a dopamine rush? The healthy way. Sex. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Great answer. Thank you. Thank you. Or, you know, it's I, I literally say we have a dopamine list of like what makes us feel good. Right. And it's looking at sometimes it is alcohol. Yeah. Sometimes it's calling a friend, having a laugh. Sometimes it's watching a favorite show. Right. But I always say from like learning about dopamine in the gym, what I've learned is we have to kind of focus on one thing versus combining a lot. So if we went to the gym and had, you know, music going at the same time and we have a pre-workout, we're trying to get so much stimulation it becomes an override. So what I do is I like to balance and mix it up so that I'm always getting that little hit versus doing it all at once. So sometimes I won't listen to any music. And then when I listen to music, it feels really good, but I'm not always going to top myself up. So I'm teaching my dopamine and bringing it back down. And and that's a fun little science experiment for us to learn. That's so interesting. I, I'm It's nerdy, I know. It's so nerdy. <laughs> no, I love that about you. I actually... I'm equally as nerdy and and trying to test out things like whether it's with with fitness or the order in which I do things. And so that's really interesting. I've never tried that. I'm going to actually give that a shot because you're right. Like at the gym, it is like music blasting in my ears, working out kind of in the zone. That'd be really interesting to split those Mm -hmm. two things up a little bit. I also am obsessed with cold plunging and cold showers. That's how I get my rush. I'm I'm addicted to it. Like, uh addicted going, I'm addicted like, it is so man, it, was, think... it was not easy I'm not gonna lie but again just like this when you understand yeah. the benefits when you understand the benefits you're you're going to stick to it because you're like this yeah. is a healthy way to feel better and strengthen yeah. my immune system and so I'm I'm obsessed with that. that's how I get my hit like that's like the best way that'll do it yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your services that you currently offer and how people can find you, what you're doing with your clients. Yeah. So I'm glad we did this podcast now because like two weeks ago, I changed my Instagram handle after 10 years. So I was Fit Bunny Jill before, but that was like my 1.0. I looked at that and was like, I went to Greece. I was on the plane. And this lady's like, are you fit bunny Jill? And I like cringed inside. I'm like, I'm so much more than that. And <laughs> I was holding on to an old identity. So my Instagram's Jill Bunny 2.0. Oh, I, I love that. 2.0 life. Yes. Yeah, I feel like so much happier with it. So that was a big day. But for my services, you can always find me on Instagram. But I have one program and I work one-to-one only because I feel like that is the connection point a lot of us need when it comes to reprogramming our brain. It's unique, especially when it comes to food and relationships. So confidence, confidential private coaching, and I call that the neurosome solution. So that's where I help people develop their 2.0 life and then looking at how we can develop a better relationship with food and exercise. And my ultimate goal at the end of the programming coaching I do is for my clients to be their own therapist, their own coach, and never ever be on a diet plan. And they leave without a diet plan because they're living life in their 2.0 without it. It's just kind of like I was coming into this podcast trying to get diet plans and I didn't leave with one. I Instead, I left with much more value. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just so funny, like, because I was just programmed to think that, okay, well, Jill, even though I understand like your method is different, like you still have to have like a certain diet, but but that's not even the that's not even the question. I've been looking at it the wrong way this whole time. I love that. So how yeah. long will you work? You got to say where you are. Yeah. How long is your program? So you, I do a one month where. Yeah. So four months is the total program, but I always do a get your feet wet for a month. So for like, you know what? I'm really not sure. We never want to commit to something where we feel like, hey, we might fail or it might not be the right point. I get it because we've been in, in this predicament time and time again and it's scary to commit so get your feet wet a lot of people like the one month to see and then four months and then I always say to everybody I'll never leave you hanging but at the end of it you shouldn't be with somebody for a year or two years that's the problem 
because they're not teaching you a solution because that's my goal is be off on your own, enjoy your life. But if it needs a bit more time, they're just booster sessions. But my goal is for you to be away with the mixer. That's so great. I absolutely love that. And uh, I also just wanted to say that uh, it's just it's so wonderful that you want to make people their own expert. And I often look at hair like that also, where I'm like, you need to understand it for yourself. I want to give you the tools to be able to, you know, make better decisions on your own and not have to rely on a product company or feel like, you know, your hair, Mm -hmm. your happiest hair is dependent on something outside of you. And so giving people that freedom, I think is so Mm -hmm. healthy. I love, I love your approach. And if anybody is looking at this on YouTube, you'll see that, you know, Jill's talking about helping you develop your 2.0. Like she is just stunning, radiating, like confidence and the hair is incredible, right? The whole thing, the whole package. And and I'm learning to deal with my hair. I still (laughs) I'm not as good as you. And I'm like, it's a process with this, like blow dryers and stuff like that. And if one day a good YouTube comes to do French braids. That would be great, but <laughs> braiding. I'm struggling here. Braiding is another level. It's hard. But yeah, all <laughs> got you guys, follow Jill. I, this is like incredible. Your program sounds so wonderful. I've never heard of anything like this. And it, you just have such a great approach and it's so healthy. And you can just tell that you've been through so much and you really sound like you're in such a good place. So... Thank you so much, Jill. This is this is incredible. I'm so happy that no, you came thank, on. Oh, thank you. And I hope this was of value and, you know, people can just take away and journal your 2.0 and think what you can get. Because I always say a problem is an opportunity. And when we go through something difficult, it becomes our purpose and something beautiful will happen. I absolutely love that. I'll be journaling without a doubt. You gave me a reason and a purpose. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jill. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard and you can think of a few other women to share this podcast with, please do leave me a quick review in whichever platform you're listening from. And if you have any recommendations or comments, email me at grow at hairlikehers.co or follow me at hairlikehers podcast on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.